Good morning. We're so grateful that you're here today. It's a beautiful day. We're thankful that we have many visitors with us. As always, we encourage you to come back and be with us at every opportunity that you have. We are very blessed here at Olive Branch to have a number of visitors come our way from week to week. We've had a number of people that have placed membership over the past year, and it may be the case that you're looking for a church home, and we would love to have you come and be a part of the family here at Olive Branch. It might be that you'd like to sit down and talk to the elders, find out how you could be a part of the work here, find your niche in the kingdom, and I would invite you to do that. We're going to be looking today at Hebrews chapter 4, the passage that Danton read a moment ago. I want to talk a little bit today about the Lord and how he is with us in this life. And so we're going to be looking at Hebrews, the fourth chapter in just a moment or two. I do want to mention that we have just completed the first month of the new year. We have 11 months to go, and we want to make this a great, great year. I want to encourage all of us to do everything that we can to make this year a great year. Let's try to the best of our ability to reach out to encourage people to come to worship services, to Bible class, set up Bible studies, do everything that we can to be the church in this community. As we look at Hebrews chapter 4, one of the things that strikes me about verses 13 through 16 is the fact that as we go through life, we have the assurance the Lord is with us. You know, at best, life is tough. Job said, man born of woman is a few days and full of trouble. It would be almost unimaginable to get through this life without any kind of trouble. And yet to know that whatever we experience here on planet earth, the Lord is with us. He's with us in good times and bad times. And so with that in mind, I want us to look at verses 13 through 16 the first thing that I would call your attention to is the fact that the Lord sees our pathway in life. Sometimes we talk about the eyes of the Lord. And really in verse 13, that's what the Hebrew writer is talking about. The eyes of the Lord. The fact that the Lord our God sees our pathway in this life. Listen to what he says in verse 13. And there is no creature hidden from his sight. But all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Two things here. Number one, we talk about our visibility before the Lord. To know that everything is before him. He sees all, he knows all. Solomon said many centuries ago, the eyes of the Lord are in every place beholding the evil and the good. I think about the fact that the Lord he sees the good, the bad, the ugly. He knows what we experience here on planet Earth. The Lord our God is mindful of everything that we're going through. He knows about our trials, our temptations, the tribulations that we experience. He sees us in pain, in agony, in joy, happiness, and yes, even sorrow. The Lord understands. He sees everything. And the writer here is underscoring that fact that there is nothing hidden from his sight. That is comforting, encouraging, 
to know that God is mindful of me, of my plight here on earth. In Psalm 139, the psalmist in the long ago talks about how nothing escapes the attention of Almighty God. He sees all. He knows all. He is an all-powerful God. And so in light of that, we ought to be grateful. But there's a second thing I want you to see. Not only does the writer here talk about our visibility before the Lord, but he emphasizes our accountability to the Lord. Listen again to what he said. There is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. So ultimately, we are accountable beings. God has made us in his image and likeness, according to Genesis 1, 26 and 27. God made man from the dust of the earth and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And Moses said it became a living soul. We have an outward man and an inward man. And ultimately, as we live here on earth, we have to understand that we are accountable to our creator. One day, we're going to stand before, as Paul said, the judgment seat of Christ and give an account of the deeds done in the body according to what we've done, whether good or bad. That's what Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 at verse 10. In Romans chapter 14, Paul would say, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall give an account of himself to God. So in light of that, a couple of things that I would stress. Number one, don't let anything rock your faith. When you look at the, when you look at the writer of the book of Hebrews, he was encouraging Hebrew Christians to hold on to their faith in Almighty God. Some were wavering in their faith. The case could be made that some Hebrew Christians had already gone back to Judaism. Some were on the verge of going back to Judaism. And so down in verse 14, the writer would say, Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. The idea is to maintain our allegiance to God. Now, we talk about some of the things that we experience here in life. There are a lot of things that can literally bring us to our knees, that can rock our faith. James in chapter 1 talks about the outward trials of life. He said, count it all joy when you fall into manifold trials. The outward or manifold trials of life encompass a lot of things, sickness, disease, or illness. We talk about financial setbacks, loss of a job. There are a lot of things that are included in outward trials. And the bottom line is sometimes the outward trials of life destroy the faith of people. Sometimes individuals will lose a child, a mother, father, brother, or sister, and that will devastate their faith. And so I think what the scriptures would say is this. Don't let anything rock your faith. But there's a second thing. Don't let anything rob you of your faith. There are a lot of things that are out there in the world that the bottom line could rob you of your faith. I think about the devil and how he operates. And again, in James chapter 1, James talks about how temptation does not originate with Almighty God. 
but rather temptation arises because of the devious work of Satan. And Satan's doing everything within his power to destroy or circumvent our faith. That's why Peter said, be sober, be vigilant. Your adversary, the devil, walks about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. In verse, in verse 9 of chapter 5 in 1 Peter, Peter said, whom withstand steadfast in the faith. In other words, don't let the devil rob you of your faith. Don't let him pull the rug out from under you. Stay true to God. Hold fast to your confession. The world and all of its allurements. The world looks glamorous, tantalizing. There are a lot of things that can bring immediate pleasure and satisfaction to one's life. And yet again, Scripture says, don't give in. Don't let the devil get a foothold in your life. There's a second thing I want you to see as we look at Hebrews chapter 4. First, we think about the Lord sees our pathway in life. But secondly, the Lord sympathizes with our pain in life. Look at verse 15. Here's what the writer said. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. So, the Lord Jesus Christ has the ability to sympathize with our weaknesses. How is he able to do that? Well, through his own experiences. When I think about the, the experiences of the Lord, it helps me to understand that he can understand what I'm going through in life. As a matter of fact, the word sympathize means to feel to have compassion. And all the writer is saying is that the Lord can feel our pain. Not only can he feel our pain, he is familiar with our pain. I mean, the Lord understands. We talk about people and their understanding of where we are in life. And sometimes we have difficulties and trials and tribulations. Sometimes we're faced with any number of temptations in life and we, we have the feeling that no one can understand. You ever heard somebody say, no one understands me. No one understands what I'm going through. Well, what the writer here is saying is, let me tell you, the Lord understands. The Lord understands where you are in this life. How does he understand? I would submit unto you that the Lord, he knows where you are. He knows what you're experiencing. Why? Because he's been there. He's been in your shoes. He knows about temptation. Temptation is a daily reality on planet Earth. We experience temptation in any number of forms. In Matthew chapter 4, Matthew chronicles the temptations Jesus faced in the wilderness. The devil came to him and set before him three very specific temptations. Jesus resisted every temptation. He responded to the devil each time by saying, it is written. Luke tells us in chapter 4, in about verse 13, that when the devil had finished tempting the Lord, that he left him, departed from him, until an opportune time. Now we read about the temptations of Jesus in Matthew chapter 4, Luke Chapter 4, and, and we look at those very specific temptations. 
But Jesus was tempted on a number of occasions. And yet, he withstood those temptations. So as you face temptation in life, you need to understand. Let me tell you what. You need to understand, the Lord's been there. As a matter of fact, the Hebrew writer says in chapter 2, verse 17, that he is able to aid those who are tempted in verses 17 and 18. Let me give you another thing that Jesus knows about. He knows about rejection. Have you ever been rejected in life? You ever had somebody turn their back on you? In Isaiah chapter 53, at about verse 3, the Bible says, speaking of Jesus, the Messiah, he was despised and rejected by men. Jesus knows all about rejection. In the sixth chapter of the book of John, Jesus identified himself as the, the bread of life. And as, I, as the case was in the first century, many times people did not receive his message. And so in John chapter 6, the Bible says that when those people assembled on that occasion heard this, they said, this is a hard saying, who can hear it? Verse 66 says, from that time many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. What did they do? They rejected the Lord. You can almost hear the Lord asking the disciples, will you also go away? I mean, here are multitudes walking away from the Lord. He turns to the 12 and says, will you also go away? Jesus knows what it's like to be rejected. Some of you have felt the sting of rejection. You've been rejected by a husband or wife, by a son or daughter, by a coworker, by a longtime friend. You understand what it means to be rejected. Well, Jesus, he's been there too. There's a third thing I would share with you, and that is Jesus knows what it's like to lose a loved one. In the 11th chapter of the book of John, word came to Jesus about a friend of his, a man by the name of Lazarus. And they said to Jesus, Lord, he whom you love is sick. Now, I don't have any doubt in my mind that Jesus loved Lazarus along with his two sisters. Down in verse 14, the Bible tells us that Jesus said about Lazarus that he's dead. In that context, the sisters of Lazarus, Martha and Mary, came to Jesus and they said, Lord, if you had been here, our brother would not have died. Jesus, as you well know, went to the tomb of Lazarus There was a great deal of mourning, weeping, crying. And the Bible tells us that Jesus wept. I think one of the reasons that Jesus wept on that occasion was because of what the devil had done to the human family. Because through his actions, he had brought death to the crown of God's creation. We stand at the side of open graves Far too often. Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the sting of death. Some of you here, you've lost a husband 
a wife. You know what it's like to bury a child, to lose a brother or sister, a grandparent. Death is a common reality. And yet, Jesus knows about death. He knows, he knows what it's like to lose a loved one. Jesus also knows about suffering. A lot of pain in this world, a lot of human suffering. A lot of people live in constant pain. Sometimes we have the idea that the Lord just can't understand the pain that we're going through in this life, that we don't understand, that, that he doesn't understand our suffering. Let me tell you, he understands. The Bible tells us in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, that Christ has also once suffered for sins. Jesus suffered. Go back and read the account given by Matthew. Note, if you would, Jesus being scourged, beaten, slapped, mocked, taunted, ridiculed. You talk about human suffering? Jesus, he understands what you're going through. And then there's a final thing that I would submit to you, and that is Jesus knows about death. Now, I'm not talking about somebody knowing about death theoretically. I'm talking about somebody knowing about death because he has experienced death. The Hebrew writer said in chapter 2, verse 9, that Jesus tasted death for every man. It is a fact Jesus died. Now, yes, he was resurrected from the grave. But Jesus died on a cross. He has been there. He has walked through the valley of the shadow of death. When we come to the end of our sojourn here on planet Earth, we need to understand there is somebody that has experienced death. That somebody is Jesus. And as somebody who has experienced death, he'll be with us all the way. Whether we like it or not, unless the Lord comes first, we're going to die. And to know that the Lord will be with me when I make that transition, what a great thought. To know that Jesus, that Jesus truly understands. There's a third thing I want you to see in our study today. And that takes us to verse 16. And that is that the Lord will support us with our problems in life. As we look at verse 16, listen, if you would, to what the writer said. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. This has to do with the ears of the Lord. And there are two specific things that I want you to see here. First of all, the exhortation. In light of the fact that God sees all and that the Lord is sympathetic to our plight here on earth, there is an exhortation. What is that exhortation? Summed up in one word, pray. Listen to what the writer said. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace. Now, over and over again, we are encouraged to pray. In Luke chapter 18, verse 1, here's what Jesus said that men ought to always pray and not to faint. In other words, don't give up. Pray, keep praying. 
One of our spiritual blessings is prayer. Peter said in 1 Peter 3, verse 12, the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous. His ears are open unto their prayers. Let me tell you what, we have the ears of Almighty God. When we bow before Almighty God in prayer, the assurance is He hears those prayers. Did you know that He delights in our prayers? Solomon said that the Lord delights in the prayers of the righteous. He wants to hear from us. He loves to hear from us. Now there's a word I want you to see in verse 16. It's a very important word, I think. It's the term boldly. Listen again to what the writer said. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace. The word boldly means this. Freedom in speaking. Unreserved in speech. To speak openly or frankly. I want to ask this question. Do you have anybody here on earth that you can sit down with and you can tell that individual your innermost feelings? I mean, in other words, you don't have to hold anything back. You can tell them your deepest, darkest, most secret thoughts. Do you have anybody like that here on earth? Is there anybody that you can sit down with and I mean in a very frank and open manner? You can lay it all before them. You see, the problem is sometimes even with those who are closest to us, we tend to hold back. We're not as forthright. We're not as frank and open as we could and should be. But what the writer here is saying is, when you come before the throne of God, you don't, have, you don't have to hold anything back. You can lay it all before him. I don't care how bad it is, how ugly it is, how hard it, how hard it is, you can put it all on his throne. God wants us to do that. God wants us to come before his throne and literally lay bare our hearts. That's the kind of God that we serve. That, that tells me that God, that God loves me, that God cares about me, that God is interested in me as a human being. To know that I have somebody that I can approach in prayer and I don't have to hold anything back. There are times in life when maybe we don't have all the answers. When we're going through a very distressing time, and I will grant there are times in life when people don't understand, even those closest to us don't necessarily understand where we are in life. They don't understand what we're going through. They may try to, but they just don't understand. But what the writer here is saying is, number one, the Lord understands. And number two, he's saying you can bear your soul to Almighty God. You don't have to hold anything back. I don't encourage us. We talk about the Lord being with us in life. Let me tell you, God is pro-life. God is for us in this life. I think about the words of the psalmist when he said many, many years ago, this I know, God is for me. God has, God has blessed us immensely. We are the crown of his creation. Don't you think that as the crown of his creation, he's going to support us and aid us and encourage us? Don't you think he wants to hear from us? 
The answer is yes. So, first there is the exhortation. And that's to pray. Secondly, there is the expectation. What's the promise? Listen to what he says. Listen again. Verse 16, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace. Why? That we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. There are problems that we have in this life. Medical doctors can't help us with. Politicians can't help us with them. There are problems that we have in this life that counselors are unable to help us with. But there is nothing, not one thing, that God's not able to help us with. Listen again to what he says, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help. Note that phrase, in time of need. Really what the writer is saying is that when we come before the throne of God, we can expect grace, favor, mercy pity from God God's going to be there for us there are going to be times in life when you're going to feel all alone on one occasion Paul said in writing to Timothy before he neared the end of his physical life here he said at my first defense no man stood with me what's well, a lonely feeling isn't it it's a lonely feeling sometimes in life especially when your life is in turmoil, and yet to know whatever, whatever condition we may find ourselves in, we can go before the throne of God, and the assurance is that we can obtain mercy, and we can find grace to help in time of need. Do you remember what Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 12? He said that there was given to him a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to buffeting. He said... I besought the Lord three times that it might depart from me. You know what the Lord said? My grace is sufficient for you. The Lord wasn't going to abandon him. He found grace and mercy to help him in time of need, in a time of need. And I promise you, whatever your situation may be in this life, you can expect to find grace to help you in your time of need. In closing, I want to assure you, the Lord, he will be with you in this life. He'll not only be with you in this life, he will be with you as you depart this life into the next life. So with that being said, it may be the case that you're here today and you're not a Christian. I said at the onset of this lesson that life at best is very tough. It's tough to get through this life unscathed. If you can do that, you are an exception. I can't imagine going through life without the Lord. I don't want to go through life without the Lord. And I don't want you to go through life without the Lord. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, could I encourage you to come to Christ? to come to the one who will stand by you, come what may. That's a promise. He will stand by you, thick or thin, come what may. 
What would you need to do? First, you need to believe in him. You need to believe that he is who he claimed to be, that is, the Son of God, John 8, 24. Then you need to, you need to be willing to repent, to give up a life of sin, Acts 2, verse 38. To confess his name before others, to acknowledge that you believe Jesus is the Son of God, Matthew 10, 32. And then the Bible tells us that we are to be baptized. And the reason is so that our sins can be washed away, Acts 22, 16. When we do that, the Lord adds us to the church, Acts 2, verse 47. We become numbered with the redeemed. We're a part of the body that Jesus has promised to save, Ephesians 5, 23. Maybe you're here today and your life is not what it ought to be. We would like to pray with you. We'd like to encourage you. It may be that you need us to pray with you and for you. We'd be happy to do that today. It may be that your life's not been what it ought to be, and you'd like to ask God to forgive you. We'd like to pray with you. The Bible says confess your faults one to another. Pray one for another. Come as we stand and sing.